You're listening to Clearing the Haze, episode number 82. Influence or impairment? What's the difference? You decide. Keeping today's workplace drug-free should not be confusing. This is the Clearing the Haze podcast, giving you the tools you need to most effectively address drug and alcohol use and decreased productivity in the workplace while investing in your positive company image. Now, here's your host, Chuck Marting. Forget all the reasons it won't work and believe the one reason that it will. Author unknown. Hello and welcome to Clearing the Haze. I'm your host, Chuck Marting. You know, today we're going to dive deep into an, an important topic that affects workplaces and safety and understanding the difference between drug and alcohol impairment and being under the influence of drugs and alcohol. I wanna explore some real life examples and provide both drug and alcohol testing collectors and employers with an action plan to make the crucial distinction between these two terms. So what brought this on was I, I attended the Indesa conference in Bellevue, Washington, just a couple of weeks ago. And I, and I met and talked to a lot of you there and talked to some vendors and talked to a lot of different people from a lot of diverse backgrounds and, and the way that they're dealing with issues in their own states. And it was pretty interesting. And I'm starting to see a pattern that kind of disturbs me after being in law enforcement for over 20 years before I got involved in the drug and alcohol industry, um, owning my own business and doing drug and alcohol testing and having clients. And that is people relying on just a test to prove impairment. I think that's a dangerous precedence. Well, I know it's a dangerous precedence because we have court cases that prove that. And my worry is, is you're going to end up having individuals that are going to rely on these things or they're going to purchase things and say, this proves impairment. And so they're not going to look at training. They're not going to look at an education and helping give supervisors, DERs, or even drug and alcohol collection facility collectors the ability to recognize impairmented individuals as well because there's going to be according to them and some others there's really no need you just use this and it's going to prove impairment and i that is a very dangerous precedent so that's why i decided to to do this episode in hopes of helping to clarify this and also help you understand that there are two very different distinctions between these two terms so let's clarify those terms real quick Drug and alcohol impairment refers to the negative effects that substances can have on a person's physical and mental capabilities. Now, on the other hand, being under the influence refers to the state of having consumed drugs or alcohol, which may impair, impair judgment and performance. So let me give you a couple of real-life examples that kind of highlight the difference between these two terms. So picture this. This first scenario is an employee that arrives at work after consuming a significant amount of alcohol the previous night. Now, although they may no longer be intoxicated, 
they could still be impaired due to the lingering effects of alcohol in their system. Now, another example involves an employee who is under the influence of drugs while on the job. So this could lead to impaired cognitive functions such as poor decision-making and compromised safety for both themselves and coworkers. And I, I want to be able to share a court case with you, all right? Here's an example of a real-life incident that involved a Walmart manager being fired for testing positive for high levels of THC in a drug test, and then the subsequent legal findings that using the drug test alone does not improve impairment. So in a Walmart store located in a state where medical marijuana is legal, a store manager, let's call that manager Mark, okay? Mark had a valid medical marijuana card to treat a chronic medical condition. So Mark had been successfully managing this store for several years and had received positive performance evaluations. And the management there knew that Mark had a valid medical marijuana card that he can have in that state that does not prevent him from having a job or can be considered in his employment. All right. So one day, a random drug test was conducted and Mark tested positive for high levels of THC. We all know that THC is a psychoactive compound found in marijuana. All right. So as per Walmart's policy, any employee testing positive for illegal substances or having high levels of THC would be subject to termination. So Mark was terminated based on the positive drug test, even though he had a valid medical marijuana card and claimed that he only used marijuana outside of working hours. Feeling that he'd been wrongfully terminated, Mark decided to challenge Walmart's decision in court. And the case brought up an important question. Does a positive drug test with high levels of THC alone prove impairment in the workplace? Think about it. That's what we hear from a lot of different people. Yeah, they're using this drug, but are they impaired when they're at work? And that's why we're wanting these instant answers that I'm seeing with people that they don't want to investigate just a little bit more or be given the tools to help them to be able to identify these things. So during the legal proceedings, Mark's legal team argued that the presence of THC in the drug test did not necessarily indicate impairment during working hours. And they presented that evidence that THC can remain in a person's system for an extended period of time, and even after the immediate effects of marijuana have worn off. So the court acknowledged that the drug test alone could not establish whether Mark was impaired or under the influence of marijuana while on the job. Interesting. The judge emphasized that the importance of differentiating between drug use and impairment, particularly in cases involving medical marijuana, was not valid. So to make a fair assessment, additional evidence was considered, such as documented instances of poor performance, behavioral observations, and impairment-related incidents at work. 
However, in this case, in Mark's case, there was no substantial evidence of impairment or negative performance associated with marijuana use. So consequently, the court ruled in Mark's favor, stating that Walmart's decision to terminate him based solely on a drug test result was not justified. The ruling highlighted the importance of considering factors beyond a positive drug test to determine impairment in the workplace, especially when medical marijuana is involved. So this incident, it underscores the need for employers to carefully assess impairment, even in situations where drug tests indicate the presence of substances. It serves as a reminder that being under the influence of medical marijuana does not automatically equate to impairment, and that a more comprehensive approach is necessary to ensure fair treatment and compliance with applicable laws. So employers need to consider factors such as documented performance, observed behavior, and any negative impact on the employee's ability to fulfill their job responsibilities before making decisions regarding termination or disciplinary action. So by understanding the differences between impairment and being under the influence and adopting a more nuanced approach, employers can ensure that their actions are fair, legally compliant, and supportive of employees who are required to, or that require medical marijuana for long-term or legitimate medical reasons. Now, now that we've established the difference between those two terms, let's discuss an action plan for employers to effectively address drug and alcohol impairment in the workplace. First, it's crucial for employers to establish clear policies and guidelines that outline expectations regarding drug use and alcohol use in the workplace. These policies need to be clear and they need to define impairment and being under the influence. Providing specific examples and consequences are gonna be very helpful in that established policy. Now, the other thing is having regular training programs and they should be implemented to educate employees as well about the risks and the consequences of drug and alcohol impairment. It's important to provide resources such as an employee assistance program, or an EAP for employees to seek out help if they are struggling with substance abuse issues. Employers should consider implementing random drug and alcohol testing to detect impairment in the workplace. And that's what we really encourage an employer to do. It's like one of those, those things that I've told a lot of my clients that decide, well, we don't necessarily want to test for it. And I look at them and I ask them, what is it that we are pretending not to know? Would you rather know that you have a potential issue and we can address it right now by going over your policies and procedures and go ahead and hire that person that you're wanting with them knowing what your policies are and giving them a, a second chance? Or are we going to just put our head in the sand and pretend nothing happened until we have a post-accident or they come to work and we have reasonable suspicion to test them and then we decide to go ahead and address it. We need to understand um, that we're going to see more and more of this. And so we need to have an approach that's going to be fair, but consistent. 
And that's where your drug policies are going to come into play. So ensure that there's a consistent approach with drug and alcohol impairment. And should it be, it should be treated as a performance issue rather than a possible disciplinary issue. So what I mean by that is it's providing, you're providing support and offering resources for your employees to address these substance abuse problems. So if you're promoting a culture of safety, not only safety, but responsibility, that is going to be another key aspect of your, your plans as far as your drug and alcohol policy are concerned. Employers can encourage employees to look out for one another, to report concerns and provide support without fear of reprisal. And that's going to be key in getting buy-in from your employees. Now, ongoing communication with your team is vital. So employers should regularly engage with their employees discussing the importance of workplace safety and the potential consequences of drug and alcohol impairment. Now, we have to remember as leaders, it's our responsibility to create a safe and supportive environment for all of our employees or team members. So by implementing clear policies, conducting training, offering support, and then promoting a culture of safety, employers can effectively address drug and alcohol-related issues and ensure the well-being of their workplace. This is key. And so I know that this is kind of a, a short episode of Clearing the Haze, and I've talked to a couple other people about this, and so we're going to have some interviews that are coming up. But I felt it was important to address this now because I'm seeing more and more of this, and I'm sure you have too, where we're getting these two terms confused. Impairment being under the influence. There is a distinction, and we have to take that into consideration. And we need to know what it is and how it affects our workplaces. So that's going to conclude today's episode of Clearing the Haze. And I want to thank you for joining me and for sharing the podcast, being able to tell people about it, because this is supposed to be for us in this industry to be able to help you in making decisions, to be able to help employers understand what's going on in the workplace and how to deal with those issues. And also giving you some things to kind of think about, because I think sometimes we even get complacent in the things that we're doing. We need to understand how important the job is that we have and understand that it's just not a job, that what we do, employers are dependent on and they value because they don't want to have somebody in their workplace that's going to be a safety risk to themselves or other people in there. And there's no other way for them to deal with it than to be able to have drug and alcohol testing as an option for them. The other thing is us getting the training to those employers. So if you have employers, have those discussions with your DERs. Talk to the supervisors when you're going out on post-accidents or after-hours call-outs and ask them what they know about recognizing drug and alcohol impairment or seeing influence of it. And if they know the difference between the two terms, okay, I think you're going to be surprised. I think you're going to find a lot of different people 
that do not understand the distinction between those two terms, but also are going to be totally lost in understanding what it is they need to look for with an individual in the workplace to determine if they even have enough to be able to ask for a drug and alcohol test to be done for reasonable suspicion. Okay. So these things are things that we need to take into consideration. So I want to ask that you share the podcast with those that you're associated with your clients, employers, other people that you feel are going to benefit from this information. And then I want to ask you to tune in next week when I'm going to be having an interview with someone that I think that you're going to really like that interview. I'm going to do some promotion of that as soon as we get the date and the time uh, put together that we're going to be doing the recording. So I don't want to release who it is right now, but just know that that's coming. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing that just because it's a little bit of a teaser for you to tune in, <laughs> but it's also because I don't know for sure with their schedule, how it works yet. So I'm just putting it out there that it's going to happen, but be prepared. Um, you may have another episode like this on clearing the haze where I'm just coming out here and talking to you about a topic or a concern or things that we're seeing right now in our industry. It's important. We've got to stay up on top of this, especially now that we have the oral fluid that's been approved and now we're just waiting for the devices and the labs to be approved. That's going to be a discussion that we're having. I'm just waiting for a little bit more. Uh, I do have a guest that's been on before that's going to uh, try and clear their schedule to come in and talk to us about this. And this individual is going to have a lot of good information for all of us. So I want you to be able to understand that. It may be something that you're going to want to share with your clients. You may want to share with other team members or other people in our industry that may not know about Clearing the Haze podcast. So please help me in getting the word out. But until next week, when I bring you another episode of Clearing the Haze, stay clear, stay safe, and lead with clarity. Take care.